0: How's everybody doing? Today, I want to talk to you about the book of Proverbs. But first, a few facts about myself that you probably already know, many of you. So I'm married. That's my lovely, lovely wife, Megan. I have two teenage sons over here. Those guys? I have a baby daughter due in less than a month. That's her. I have a job in an office. (laughs) I teach kids in children's ministry. That's not all of them, and actually that's mostly alumni, but that was the best picture I could find last night. And Vivian is choking Valencia with love. (laughs) (laughs) And then I I also sometimes come in here and teach you guys. So why do I tell you all these things? Well, I'm telling you because Uh, These are the things I have that I'm responsible for in my life, the things that I need to do on a regular basis. And it's old news to many of you, but uh, I just wanted to talk about them, because all of you have things you have to do, too. Some of you may be parents or or spouses, or you have jobs, and there's other things that you might do that I don't do. Um, And we all have things that we have to do, but overarching all these things is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? And What I want to talk to you about today is something we all need to do these things. And what we all need is wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom, according to the Life Application Study Bible, says, Knowledge is good, but a vast difference stands between knowledge, having the facts, and wisdom, applying the facts to life. So when we know things, that's knowledge. And when we use those things that we know to make good decisions, that's wisdom. Where can we find wisdom? Wisdom. I've got a few ideas. Yoda? Perhaps. Gandalf. Mr. Miyagi. These are all very wise characters, and certainly they must have some kind of wisdom that people are looking for because there are whole websites devoted to quotes from them. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. How about in the world around us? Is there wisdom to be found there? No. I'm sorry to say that there's not a lot of wisdom to be found in People magazine or any of those other magazines you see at the grocery store. Where we need to find our wisdom is from God. Because the world around us chases after folly day after day after day, more and more. But in God's Word, we can find wisdom. From cover to cover of the Bible, you'll find wisdom. But today I want to talk about a book that makes wisdom the main focus, and that's Proverbs. So if you'll all turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Before we start reading there, a little background information. Proverbs is a book filled with wisdom that's still applicable to our lives today. Much of it was written by Solomon, the third king of Israel. He's David's son, and some other writers also contributed some of the, the Proverbs. Many of you know how Solomon acquired his wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, after Solomon had been crowned as king, God appeared to him in a dream and asked him, told, gave him the opportunity to ask for anything he wanted. And he would give it to him. Solomon said that he needed a discerning heart in order to rule over God's people and to distinguish between right and wrong. In other words, he asked for wisdom. And God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. That's a pretty awesome promise from God for Solomon. He granted his request and made him so wise that he gained a reputation from faraway countries as being the wisest man in the world. and People came to see him to ask for answers to their problems. Here in Proverbs, we have a collection of wise things that Solomon and others recorded, and they're short sayings that are intended to be easy to remember. They're one of the five books of poetry in the Bible, in the middle there. What are Proverbs for? What do we use them for? Solomon was kind enough to spell that all out here in the beginning of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding Proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. That sounds like a lot of benefits for us that Proverbs has to offer. I want to have wisdom, understanding, discernment. I want to know what's right and just and fair. And I want to act prudently. And being prudent just means acting with and showing care with thought towards the future. That's what God wants me to do. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, these are things that I should be growing in. I should be growing in this wisdom. Here in Proverbs, we have instructions to guide us in that. What will wisdom do for us? Well, in chapter 2, we can see more. Starting in verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. What I see very clearly in those verses is that the Lord's protection is on us when we apply His wisdom to our lives. Just following His instructions alone will give us a safer life, won't it? If we just do what what God tells us to do, He always has good instructions to keep us safe and out of trouble. But on top of that, the Lord Himself will be our shield and give us victory. That's just another benefit of obtaining God's wisdom rather than the world's. Now, there are 31 chapters of Proverbs covering many different topics. Even within each chapter, there are many different topics. I read a chapter of Proverbs every morning, and I know a lot of other believers who do the same thing, too. It wasn't my idea. I got it from someone else. And uh, 31 chapters makes it very convenient to read through the whole book every month. If it's a 30-day month, you just don't get to hear about wives of noble character, unless you want to read two chapters. But if you go down that path, then on February 28th, you've got to get up real early and read four chapters. So, <laughs> as with so many subjects to cover uh, in each chapter, you can find something new every month that speaks to you right where you're at, which is true of the whole Bible. But, uh, you know, I'll read something today, September 17th, and uh, it'll mean something to what I'm doing this week. And then October 17th, you know, when I, Lord willing, have a brandy new baby, I might read something entirely different in Proverbs 17. It can really come in handy to memorize Proverbs, and when you read them every month, then you start to remember them. They start to come to your mind easier. One that I like to keep uh, in the back of my mind, when my wife teases me about how my hair is slowly starting to turn gray, is Proverbs twenty twenty nine. The glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. I wonder when Solomon wrote that one. Later in his life, perhaps? <laughs> I'm kind of in between. I still have some of my young man's strength. I'm getting started on my old man's splendor. I keep all that in my head, though. If I said that to my wife, she'd laugh at me. <laughs> Even harder. There are t- actually two different verses in Proverbs that talk about how great gray hair is. And as amusing and enlightening as a whole sermon about that would be, about talking about how great gray hair is, um, I'm not going to do that today to you. <laughs> be very useful to my wife, she could, but she's not here today. So, As in any other book in the Bible, when God repeats himself, it's worth listening, isn't it? So what I want to talk to you about today is recurring topics in Proverbs. Now, keep in mind that this isn't a comprehensive list. Um, There are a lot of things in Proverbs, and I want to get you all down to that potluck on time. So uh, these are the main ones that I came upon when I was getting ready for this. Fear the Lord. Have humility. Be self-controlled, especially with our words. Be honest. Be diligent in our work. And be generous. I've got one last one to add. Maybe you can guess it, but we'll save that one for the end. Now, the nature of this book, I'll say it makes it hard to keep up in your own Bibles. So, you know, if you get lost because I'm flipping back and forth so fast, we'll have them up on the screen for you. Um, You know, I'm going to be all over the place. So first off, fear of the Lord. Whenever I talk about the fear of the Lord, I just want to make it very clear that it's not like a fear of spiders, it's not like the fear of getting jumped in a dark alley or any other fears, real or imaginary, of things that might harm us. The fear of the Lord is a, just a genuine respect and awe of who God is. Proper respect, reverence. He's the almighty, holy creator of the universe. He's worthy of our worship and honor and praise. And that's what the fear of the Lord is. Proverbs 9, verse 10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So this is where wisdom begins, with having a respect for God and who He is, having a sense of how great, awesome, and powerful God is. Without recognizing this first, we're never going to pay enough attention to what God's Word has to say to us to get the rest. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, is a similar verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So until we have the fear of the Lord, we're stuck in our natural state of foolishness. That's how we're born, foolish. And we fall back into that all the time. The fear of the Lord is both the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. So it's the first thing we need to know is to fear the Lord. And then the first thing we need to do is to apply that fear of the Lord to our lives. To live in worship and service to Him. What else do we see about the fear of the Lord? In chapter 14, verse 27, we see, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life turning a man from the snares of death. It's the fear of the Lord that protects us by keeping us from bad choices that could bring us harm. It's the fear of the Lord that leads us to turn to Jesus for our salvation. In our human minds, we can't truly grasp how great and how awesome How holy God is. But when we even get a a sense, a a bit of a sense of how great and holy God is, we see that we need a Savior. We see that we can't meet God's holy standard. And we see that only Jesus can save us. In our own flesh, we can't do any of these things. We need the Holy Spirit inside of us to live a life that matches up with what God's Word says. Jesus lived a perfect life and gave it up on the cross so that we could have that. So the fear of the Lord, wisdom starts there. Following all of these other instructions that we're gonna talk about will be a natural response to that. The next one is humility. Proverbs teaches the value of humility hand in hand with the dangers of pride. And part of the Hebrew poetic form that much of Proverbs is written in deals with not rhyming words, but almost like rhyming ideas. Ideas that contrast each other within the same verses. So we have these pairs of things that are opposite of each other. Pride and humility is one of them. We'll see that each, in each of these verses, like Proverbs eleven two, where it says, "When pride comes, then comes disgrace; but with humility comes wisdom." Chapter sixteen verses eighteen and nineteen, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Sorry. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. And in chapter 29, verse 23, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. I could go on, but, and there are even more than that. But you get the idea. Pride is not only bad, it's dangerous, and humility is of great value. Jesus, when his disciples were arguing and jockeying for position to be the number one guy, told him, he told them, he who is the least among you, all, he is the greatest, in Luke chapter 9. Humble people are the people that God will use and teach. People who don't think too highly of themselves to come to Jesus in the first place. And people who, once they've come to Jesus, don't think too highly of themselves to be taught and to understand that there's still a work in progress. C.S. Lewis said about humility, I'm going to paraphrase here, That if you ever meet a really humble person, he won't go on talking about how he's nobody special. He said, he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. I believe that holds true. If we focus too much on our own humility, then we can become proud of how humble we are, can't we? (laughs) What it really comes down to is that we need to take the attention off of ourselves altogether. We don't worry about how humble we are if we don't worry about ourselves so much. We look at God, and then we get. Then we get humble. When we see God and who He is, then we'll have humility. So, if we put the focus on Him, then humility will follow. It's a natural response to understanding God. And the better we know Him, the more humble we'll be. When we see ourselves not just as wretched sinners, which we are apart from God, but ransomed, redeemed, rescued people, new creations, owing everything to Jesus that will make us humble. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. And when we know that, that will make us humble. Next, Proverbs has a lot to say about self-control. But I'll give you just a few examples. We see self-control expressed repeatedly by contrasting, again, patience and rashness. If we have self-control, we'll be patient. If we don't, we'll react quickly and foolishly to the things happening around us. Proverbs 29.11 says... A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. We see something similar in chapter 16, verse 22. Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. And of course, sometimes it feels like taking a city would be easier, doesn't it? Than controlling our temper. But controlling ourselves is the wise thing to do. How often when we've blown it in this department and lost our temper, do we say afterwards when we've calmed down, Wow, that was really productive and healthy. I should do that more often. That totally solved my problem. (laughs) It never happens. We never say afterwards, oh, I'm really glad I did that. Nothing good comes from letting our emotions have full reign over us. Patience and self-control are both fruits of the Spirit, listed in Galatians chapter 5. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, then that fruit should be coming out of our lives. Patience and self-control. Now, a sin mentioned repeatedly in Proverbs is adultery. And this falls under self-control as well. Solomon gave special emphasis to this when addressing his son because he knew that the consequences of stepping into this snare are terrible. He repeatedly likened this sin to a death trap, knowing how often it destroys the lives and families of those who fall into it. We are warned to stay far away from those who would lead us into that. And it takes self-control to do that. Don't set yourself up for a fall. Just stay away. Otherwise, you'll be like an ox going to the slaughter, Solomon says in chapter 7. Now, a whole other category of self-control is the tongue, taming the tongue. We have to use self-control with our mouths, which can get us into all sorts of trouble. Chapter 12, verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Well, chapter 13, verse 3 says, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs eighteen six goes on, A fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites a beating. So we see a lot of negative consequences to speaking foolishly, don't we? Our words will pierce like a sword. We will come to ruin. We'll have strife. We'll invite beatings. Speaking of which, We can even do this by incorrectly applying Proverbs. We can use a proverb in such a way that it's foolish and invite ourselves a beating. Married guys, try quoting Proverbs 27.15 to your wife. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Only wait till I'm there. I want to watch. (laughs) I've never tried that. My wife isn't quarrelsome and I don't want to spend the night in my car. That's an obvious case of don't do that. (laughs) But there's an amount of discernment that we need to use even when we're giving advice and quoting Scripture to people about whether that's the right time to say that, if that would be a prudent thing to say, a wise thing to say. Is it loving? Is it going to build that person up or tear them down? We need to be careful with our words, even when we're applying God's words to people. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 say, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of a fool gushes folly. Kids love Gushers fruit snacks, don't they? Yes. All, my, all my former students over here and my kids, you like Gushers, right? Right, guys? It's okay if you adults like Gushers, too, because Gushers came out when I was a kid, so all the original Gushers eater are, are, are grown up. Gushers. So you love gushers' fruit snacks, but you don't want to be a folly gusher. (laughs) Quasi-fruit juice coming out of your fruit snack is great, but folly coming out of you is not. We don't want to be a folly gusher. Sometimes less is more, as we find in chapter 17, verse 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent, and discerning if he holds his tongue. So God wants us to be wise with our words to control our tongues. James chapter 3 has a lot to say about taming the tongue. People in the world around us let their tongues run wild, saying whatever pops into their heads. And it's so easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? I know, from experience, especially in your workplace, where you really can't get away from those folks because you're sitting right there with them. But God's calling us to have self-control. It will be better for us if we do, if we don't start fires with our tongues that will become so hard to put out, as James talks about. It's also better for us if we don't lose our tempers, (coughs) Better for us if we stay away from anything that could tempt us into sin. It's better if we have self-control. How about honesty? Does God have something to say about that here in Proverbs? Most certainly. Now this overlaps a bit with using your words wisely, right? Because lying words are never wise. Our mouths are the number one way we can be dishonest. Verse 22 in chapter 12 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. In verse 19 of the same chapter, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Now in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus spoke words that many of us know well. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. That's how he describes himself. One of the ways he describes himself. And then he describes Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So I think we get a pretty clear picture of whether we should speak the truth or lies from that, don't we? Jesus is the truth, and we should cling to the truth. We should stay away from lies. That's what Satan's native language is. It isn't just our words, though, that we can be dishonest with. We can be dishonest in our dealings with other people, in our work. And we need, to be on, we need to be honest with people. We need to be upright. Back in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, we have, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And in chapter 11, chapter 16, and twice in chapter 20, we see warnings about how God detests dishonest scales. It comes up so many times. In chapter 20, verse 23, we see, just as an example, the Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Now, in this time period, this was a way to cheat others out of money as a merchant. You'd use a rigged scale or rigged weights that would show that either the money that they were using to pay you weighed less, or the goods that you were selling them weighed more, and that's how you would cheat people. These verses tell us how God wants us to deal fairly and honestly with other people. The merchants using those scales would say, just as dishonest people today would, everybody does it. It's not hurting anybody that much. It's only a little bit off the true measurement. But a little bit off of the truth is still a lie. As believers, we should be people who are honest above reproach. With our families, with our employers, with our tax returns, with every part of our lives. Since Jesus is the truth, we should be careful to adhere to the truth. Another thing that we want the world around us to see at all times is our diligence. Repeatedly, Proverbs tells us of the benefits God has for those who work hard and the repercussions of being lazy or being a sluggard. There's a slug. (laughs) That's a great word, sluggard. I don't know why we don't use that one more often in our everyday lives. I'm guessing that the sluggards didn't like being called sluggards, so they came up with a nicer word, lazy for themselves, or perhaps it was too insulting to slugs, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, for a slug to get anywhere, it takes a lot of hard work, so it's, it's really, you know, a slug can be very diligent. <laughs> more diligent than a sluggard. I like in the New King James Version, it's the slothful instead of the sluggard. That seems a little more appropriate because a sloth will sleep for 15 to 18 hours a day, and that's fine for a sloth, but not fine for us. So it's very tempting, especially when I know how short supply sleep will be in in a few weeks. That's what a quick Google search told me about the brown-throated sloth that it sleeps 15 to 18 hours a day. But they sure seem like happy critters, always smiling. (laughs) But God made them to sleep that much. He didn't make us to sleep that much. Nope. (laughs) Nope. I think the eight hours is about right. So, that being said, we see in Proverbs 10, verses 4 and 5. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. We see in these verses both the personal benefit of working diligently, it brings wealth, And that we can be a blessing to others, like the parents of the wise son, in this verse, who gathered in harvest. Chapter 14, verse 23, also speaks of the value of diligence. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Chapter 12, verse 24, shows an even greater difference between these two types of people. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. And we can also find examples throughout Proverbs of the lengths people will go to to avoid work. Chapter 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside or I will be murdered in the streets. That's his reason that he called in to his boss. You know? <laughs> in other words, we make up crazy reasons why we can't go out and work hard. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.23, 3, 23, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for men. Is that always easy? No. Sometimes we work harder than other times. I like to think that I work fairly hard at my job. As you can see from the picture I showed you of my desk, it's kind of a fast-paced world of excitement over there. But <laughs> sometimes it does get a little tiring, punching out on those keys, you know. <laughs> so, but I try to stay diligent. I know it's part of my witness to others around me, that I work hard. Even in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, God had work for Adam to do, taking care of it, because work is good for us. Now it became harder because of the fall. It became toilsome labor. But the point still stands that work is not bad for us, and that by doing it with diligence, we bring glory to God. Now the last thing on my list of lessons from Proverbs, my last thing before my last thing, that is, is that God wants us to be generous. In chapter 19, verse 17, we see this. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. In chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, we see, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. In these verses, I see that we need to show generosity, that we would not unhold unduly what God has blessed us with, and that we wouldn't be guilty of hoarding our stuff or our money when there are other people around us who need help. It can take more than just our stuff and our money, though. It can take our time and our effort, too, that we need to be generous with. Are we willing to give someone a ride to church or a ride home? Are we willing to take a few minutes to encourage somebody else before we rush off? I see that all the time here, that people are generous. People are generous with their time. People are generous with their their resources. And it's just a, a powerful witness to people who come in here who don't know the Lord that we're treating each other with love and we're being generous. All the things that we have are God's anyway, and we're just stewards of them. They're his possessions. This is his church building. If the Lord is calling us to give his things to others, then we need to be willing to do so. And God's word clearly says that we'll be blessed by it. Not that that's the reason that we're generous, just so we can get blessed, but it's in there. If we're generous, we will be blessed. For overly tight-fisted, it says right here that we'll lose it all anyway. It's wise to be generous. So now I've covered all of my list of repeated instructions. Just to recap: Fear the Lord, have humility. Be self-controlled, be honest, be diligent in our work, be generous. Now, what could I have left out? That seems pretty well covered, right? Does Anybody notice a a verse that's been glaringly omitted? What what could be my big surprise instruction that I saved for the end in Proverbs? It's a good one. Our ability to do all of these things... And to do them in a way that truly obeys and honors God depends on it. I believe if there's one thing that God is calling us to throughout the entirety of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's this. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Now some of you have been here for a while and have sharp memories might Recall that the first time I ever gave a message up here, I talked about trusting the Lord. Because it's so very important to everything else you could ever learn in your life, that you trust the Lord. So you can call this cheating that I'm bringing it up again, but I can't do a message on Proverbs without talking about verse chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Why would we do any of the things we talked about today if we didn't do this first? It takes our trust in the Lord to do anything that he tells us to do in his word, doesn't it? We have to trust him to believe that he's giving us the right directions. To believe that he is going to guide our steps and be with us. Even if we do some of these things out of self-preservation, does that get us anywhere? It might keep us out of some earthly trouble, but eternally speaking, it won't do anything unless we trust in the Lord. How are we saved from our sins? By grace through faith. Faith and trust are the same thing. Pastor Rich mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. The writer of Hebrews says it better than I ever could in chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So replace faith with trust. They're interchangeable. Without trust is it impossible to please God. Without putting our trust in Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we're lost. And we're still slaves to sin and headed for eternal death. The only way that we do all the things we talked about today in a way that pleases God is to put our faith and trust in Him. To trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Not in our flesh, not in our own abilities. God calls people to trust Him in all of Scripture from beginning to end because we can't save ourselves. Only by trusting in Him and receiving His gift of grace can we have eternal life. Now, as if that's not enough, God gives us His Holy Spirit to guide us and make our paths straight. If you didn't know this verse before today, and you take one thing away from this message, remember this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The rest of what we talked about all comes out of that anyway. Once we have the Holy Spirit within us, we'll be guided to do all of the things we studied in Proverbs. We covered a lot of wisdom today, but this is the wisest thing I could ever tell anyone to do. To trust the Lord. And maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. Whether you're sitting here today in this room, or you somehow found us on YouTube, it's a good time to put your trust in the Lord. It's a good time to receive everlasting life and forgiveness of your sins to receive the Holy Spirit, to guide you and keep your path straight. We're going to pray in a minute, and all you need to do is pray along and ask him. There's nothing we can do on our own. We need to trust him and what he did for us on the cross in order to be saved. We need to believe in him and receive these instructions that we looked at in Proverbs. You can pray too. those of you who are already believers along with me that God would help you apply this wisdom to your life. And by his Holy Spirit would help you to do the things that he's calling all of us to do. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, we do just thank you that you've given us these instructions on how to live our lives for you. We thank you for all the things that you've taught us through Proverbs and that they're intended to bless and benefit us both here in this life and into eternity. We thank you for the cross, Jesus you paid for our sins and rescued us from sin and death so that all we need to do is put our trust in you to receive your salvation we pray Lord that you would forgive us for all the ways we've fallen short in these things and wash us clean again we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to live our lives by faith and to do the things that your word tells us to do to be wise and discerning to be prudent to follow what your word says we pray that you would especially help us with the things that we struggle with that you would strengthen us to follow you. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I pray that you would come and know him now. If that's you and you want to receive salvation, just pray like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost apart from you and that I need a Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose again to show that you truly are God the Son and that my debt of sin is paid in full by you. I put my trust in you with all of my heart to be my Lord and Savior now. I want to follow you and live my life for you, your way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.